Good morning, and welcome again to Morning Devotions. I'm Pastor Summerall, the pastor of the Cathedral of Praise. Every day until this is finished, I will be sitting down with you and reading the Bible, praying, worshiping God together. We got some discouraging news last night. I will admit they're talking about three more weeks, and I'm going, it's already been three and a half weeks, and now three more weeks. Yeah, those words are a little discouraging. But brothers and sisters, we can do this. We can make this. This will pass, and it will be well with us in Jesus' name. Now, I want to talk to you about a couple of things before we get started today. Number one, I want to talk to you about just settling in. I mean, there's nothing we can do to change this, so let's just settle in and trust God through this. Now, by settle in, I don't mean we give up. I mean, we settle in for the journey. Sometimes you need to change the schedule up a little bit. You know, the, the schedule is working and you thought, well, it's going to be over by this point in time, so I don't need to worry about it. But now it's not going to be over. So right now, today, sit down with the family and say, all right, we need to make some changes. These are the things that are working. These are the things that are not working. Let's, let's make some changes together, have a little family meeting. How can we adapt? If this is going to go for three more weeks, what do we want to change so that we can come through this with no family arguments, no family fusses. Settle in. I mean, we don't give up. I mean, we figure out our finances. We check our finances. We check our food supply. We check our ability to get food. And we make sure that we have a steady supply of food for the family. Now, that may mean you look at the kids and say, all right, kids, we've been pretty lenient on the junk food and the Pringles and the potato chips and all the different kinds of chips and the ice cream, but now kids, we need to settle in, focus our finances. We need to eat healthy for the next few weeks. So maybe we stop the junk food and we focus on good, clean, simple food. You need to plan some new ways to be productive at home. What, what can I do to be productive? I mean, you need to come up with some new projects. You, you had things you planned until this point in time and now it's gonna go another three weeks. So lay out your productivity plans for the next few weeks. You Maybe you need to start a project. Like today, I thought, okay, when I heard the news early this morning, okay, these are the things I'm going to start working on. I'm going to go ahead and finish that rewrite of level one, two, three, and four this week. Uh, these are some projects that I can work on. So maybe it's going to be a project around the house. You know, when you go out to buy food, you pick up some paint and you paint the outside of the house or you paint the inside of the house or you fix the roof. But there's some projects that you can work on where you can feel like, hey, I'm accomplishing something. It is incredibly discouraging to the human spirit to not be productive. So come up with some ways to feel useful and productive. And also, I would begin to think long term because going another three weeks, that means lockdown is going to be well over six weeks. I don't imagine companies are going to be giving more holidays the rest of the year. I don't imagine the paid working holidays that we normally get here in the Philippines are going to be valid for the rest of the year. I'm sure that the government and corporations are going to have to sit down and say, now, we're limiting the days off, we're limiting the time off, we're limiting holidays the rest of the year. So, you know, I, I would begin to plan those things in. And, you know, we have a lot of adapting to do between now and the end of the year. Now, 2021 will return to, to normal, but for the rest of this year, we've got some adapting to do. So, Begin to think about these things, understand our times, and know what we should do.
All right, let's get into Psalms 91. And one of the things I would do to change things up is I'd have the kids begin to memorize a passage of this every day and then add to it every day. And then by the end of this week, have the kids be able to recite Psalms 91 every time the family sits down to eat. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, when the family sits down, the children stand up and recite Psalms 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. For you will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot, because he holds fast to me in love. I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I like that. When you call to him, he says, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name this morning. We ask that you open our hearts to your word, that you open our minds to understand your word. Father, there's been a lot of pressure on the people. It's been hard. These last few weeks have been difficult, Lord. But I thank you that you have put faith within their hearts. I thank you that you have put a rest of faith deep within them. And that, Father, you filled them with the joy, the joy of your presence. Father, I ask that you come down to those homes right now. Bring healing. Let lungs be strong, Father, in Jesus' name. Let every sickness and disease be broken off of every home in Jesus' name. Let all the sniffles of those kids just be healed, Lord, in Jesus' name. And Father, I pray, especially for the poor members among us. They don't know what to do. No work, no pay. Father, I ask. Grant them ideas. Show them talents and abilities that you've placed within them that maybe they've just taken for granted. And let them see those ideas. Show them ways to do things, Father, that you can bless the work of their hands with. And Father, I thank you that you put food on every table in Jesus' name. I thank you for full bellies every night as our people go to sleep. No children crying like in the old days, Lord, because they're hungry. Full bellies in every family as they go to sleep every night, Father. We thank you, Lord. You promised in your word that because we're givers, you would provide for all of our needs according to your riches and glory through Christ Jesus. You've watched your people sow. Now, Father, we stand back and watch you provide. 
we stand still and see the salvation of the greatness and the sovereignty of our God. Make it a way where there is no way, because that's who you are. Bring food to our families, Father, in Jesus' name. And Father, for all of our working people, they are so stressed out. <laughs> Father, I just ask for the Holy Spirit to let that stress out of them like air out of a balloon. Just letting their hearts come down to a settled place of peace today. They're getting calls from their offices all day, challenging them for their work. They're working late into the night, just trying to keep up because bosses don't believe they're getting their work done. Father, just let all that stress come out of them. And let there just be a peace that passes all understanding flow into their hearts today. Father, there are so many people that are disappointed these days. Weddings that have not been done, and they so looked forward to this. First birthdays, Lord, anniversaries, 50th birthdays, Lord, tremendous milestones in people's lives that those celebrations have never taken place and they're disappointed. Father, take the disappointment out of their heart and let them see that all these things are still going to be done, that they haven't lost anything. Things have just been delayed. Father, lift and encourage them today, I pray. Young people, Lord, who, especially the little ones, who didn't get a birthday cake this year, they didn't get their party at Jollibee. Take that discouragement out of their heart, Father. This has been a difficult time. God, you walk with us. You will walk with us through the fire, and you will walk with us through the flood, and you will bring us into the wealthy place like you promised. I thank you, Father, for meeting the needs of your people, whether it's food on the table, whether it's work of our hands, whether it's peace in our hearts. And Father, I ask in this time, <laughs> there have been marriages, Lord, that have been struggling. There's three more weeks where they're just locked in the house together. Let there be a healing that takes place in marriages. Let there be a healing that takes place in families. Let the hearts of the fathers and mothers turn back toward one another. Let the hearts of the parents turn toward the children and the hearts of the children turn toward the parents. Let this be a time, Lord, that Satan meant to destroy. Let it be a time that you rebuild the families and strengthen our families and remind us of the core, the core that you gave us when we were born into this world. I thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Now stand with me and let's open up our hearts and spend some time in worship.
Now, either way is fine with me. Uh, just I'm an early person. Usually by a little after six every morning, I'm leaving the house and driving into the office downtown. So this is normal for me. Some people, especially now going into the fourth week or fourth week of lockdown, maybe you're sleeping a little later in the morning. You say, Pastor, why don't we move this back till seven? So use those comments today and send us in and they'll get me a feedback on it and let me know whether you think we should move this back to seven. All I want to do is serve you whatever is best for you. It's not anything to me. If you wanted to move it up to 5 a.m., that would be fine with me. It's just whatever is best for you. It's my privilege to serve. All right, let's get into Luke chapter 14 today, beginning with verse 25. Now, I'll warn you in advance, we're going to take a little bit of time on this from a couple of different translations. It's often been said, and I think Tozer was one of the ones who wrote about it the most, that true Christianity suffers when it becomes popular culture. And one of the things we see in the world today is that people have taken Christianity and turned it into pop culture. It's turned it into the popular thing and, and influencers and, and, you know, forgive me, but singers and movie stars, when they can no longer do very well in the secular world, they, they flip over, they, they cross over to the Christian market. And, you know, it's it just... It, it just amazes me. Christianity is not about entertainment. It's not about making money. It's not about a Christian business. It's not about being popular. It's about a life changed. Now, Jesus has a great crowd that comes to him, we'll see in a minute, and he confronts them because all of a sudden following Jesus has become extremely popular. Verse 25, now great crowds accompanied him. Great crowds. We're not talking about a crowd now. We're talking about great crowds. It's become the popular thing to do to follow Jesus around. I mean, huge crowds following him. Now, great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, not talking to the twelve now, he's not talking to the inner court of his disciples, he's saying to this big crowd of people, and he said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brother and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see will begin to mock him, saying, This man has begun to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a long, great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, if any one of you does not renounce all he has, he cannot be my disciple. Now, let me read it to you from the New Living Translation. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else in com by comparison. You must hate everyone else by comparison. Your love for God is so strong, you hate everyone else by comparison. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, brothers, sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you did not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. And don't begin, but don't begin until you count the cost. He said, don't start following me. Don't become a disciple until you count the cost. For who would begin the construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might run, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They will say, there is a person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. 
Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. You ca so you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Salt is good. Well, let's just stop there. Now, I've read you two translations. Now let me go back and take it verse by verse. Because this is maybe one of the most important passages I can teach you about living for Jesus. Great crowds, a popular thing. He turned and he challenged the great crowds. They weren't there because they were committed to Jesus. They were there because this is the new thing to do. This is the popular place to be. This is the cool place to be. This, is, this has now become pop culture. And he looks at them and he says, I want to talk to you about your commitment here for a minute. He said, why, why are you here? He said, if you don't look at every other human being in the world and in comparison with your love for me, hate them, yes, even your own life. He said, if, if there's any other life that when you look at that in comparison to your love for me, it looks like hate. He said, you cannot be my disciple. Now, folks, I, I hear so many people at this day just talking about, you know, Jesus just loves you. Don't worry about commitment. But if when you look at any other relationship, if you can't walk away from an unsaved girlfriend or an unsaved boyfriend, then you cannot be his disciple. Sorry. If you can't walk away from a, uh, a relationship that you know is not good for you, you've often heard me say when, when friends change, change friends. If, if you look at a relationship and you realize that friendship is hurting my spiritual life, that relationship is hurting my spiritual life. My friend is going in a direction I cannot go. And if you value that friendship more than your love for God, if that friendship is does, if you cannot look at that friendship and in comparison with your love from God, for, for God, you hate it, you cannot be his disciple. Now, now please forgive me. This this just knocks knocks popular Christianity into the garbage can because it's not real christianity it's not you know people run around talking about our goal is to make disciples our goal is to do this discipleship is the big word today but you know when you see people you go wait a minute they value everything about their concept of discipleship is is, is horizontal relationships it's friendships it's it's influencers it's network marketing it's all of this stuff and it has nothing to do with this vertical relationship with god now, Jesus looked at these great crowds and says, you know what? You're going to have to get a grip on something. You cannot be my disciple unless every other life in this world is nothing to you compared to your love for me, including your own life. And then he takes it a step farther. He said, and whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. In other words, God has a will for your life. So part of being his disciple is not about going to church and hanging out with your friends, at your Christian friends. It's, will you do the will of God? He said, now listen, you, you can't be my disciple unless you're willing to carry your own cross. He said, now, I'm not asking you to carry mine. Jesus said, I'm carrying mine. Notice, carry your own cross. Carry his own cross. What is God's will for your life? What, what is the destiny that God has for you? 
What are the plans that God has for your life? And here I believe the cross not just refers to his destiny when it comes to your, your career and all of those kind of things. I think it has to do with your ministry, the good works that he has laid out in advance for us to do. Last Sunday, I talked to you about, are you on schedule? God has a calendar for your life. He's laid out good works in advance for you to do. Are you keeping in step with the Spirit? Or are you prioritizing your own life more than the ministry that he has for you? There are souls that he has laid out for you to bring to him. There are people that he has laid out for you to get involved in church and, and on a causa, compel them to come in. There are people that he has for you to provide leadership for. There are people that he has laid out in advance for you to lay hands on and miracles of healing will happen. There are people that he has laid out for you to encourage and to comfort. He has good works laid out in advance for you. He has people that you are to take food to and, and help feed the poor. Will you carry your own cross? Oh, yes, Lord. Well, he said, well, okay, that's really easy for you to say. But which of you builds a house without first counting the cost? And which of you goes to four without figuring out whether you can win? He said, now you need to sit down and think about this. You claim, this big crowd of you, you claim to be my disciple. But you can't be my disciple. You can't be. You cannot be my disciple because, forgive me, he said, you know, you're not willing to carry your own cross. He said, when, when the, the going gets tough, you get going. You never counted the cost. You never understood the sacrifice that it would take. Now, now please, in, in, in reality, you know, the sacrifice is more of a joy. I mean, you know, I can remember, you know, Jack Hayford one time sitting me down saying, David, what are you doing here in the Philippines? Because things were so poor back in those days. I said, because this is where God called me. I don't care about making money. I don't care about, you know, being somebody. I care about pastoring COP. God asked me to care for these people, to look out for the welfare of these people. And so all of my life, for 40 years now, I've focused my life on one group of people because that's what God asked of me. Now, counting the cost, was I willing to go through the poverty? Was I willing to go through the difficult times? Yeah. You make a decision. You count the cost and you go, I understand what this is going to take and I'm going to do it. Because when you don't, People sit back and they laugh at you. And that's why Christianity is so laughed at today. And so many people talk about hypocrisy. Because when the going gets tough, these people get going. And then he continued. He said, now listen. He said, when, the, when there's an army coming, when opposition comes against your life, when, when there are battles to be fought, you know, have you figured out that you can win? Have you sat down with the counselor of the Holy Spirit and figured out that you can win? that you can overcome this temptation, that you can overcome these spiritual battles. Because if you haven't sat down and figured this out, you can't be my disciple. He said, because when you, when you try to act my, my disciple, when, when the battle happens, you're going to compromise at the last minute. You're going to go out and, oh, let's, 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 let's compromise this. No. When you walk into this thing of being a disciple of Christ, you lay down every relationship. You lay down everything you have. You lay down every dream, you lay down every desire, everything you are and ever hope to be, you lay it down. We sing the song, I lay me down. That's what that song is all about. Now, in these days when we're locked down, beloved, please, 
this is a time of reflection. This is a time to sit down and think. Some of you have allowed priorities and you've allowed pressures and temptation and you've allowed friendships to, to crowd out Jesus in your life. This passage brings us back to the cost of discipleship. There is a price to pay. You say you're a disciple of Jesus, that every relationship you've laid down, every dream, every desire, everything you've laid down, you've counted the cost, you understand the price, and you choose to follow. Now, when Jesus starts talking like this, crowds don't stay so big. <laughs> he continues in verse 34, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall it saltiness be restored. It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears, let him hear. Oy. He who has ears, let him hear. Matthew, 5, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. Hey, you, you claim that you're my disciples, Jesus is saying to this great crowd. He said, you claim that you're my disciples. You're supposed to be the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, the saltiness cannot be restored. It's not good for anything. Now, can you imagine Jesus saying that today? These churches are not good for anything. These Christians are not good for anything. They've lost their saltiness. <laughs> Jesus could say some really, really strong things. Now, these are not words of condemnation, but they are words that cause us to reflect. There is a price to pay to follow Jesus. And when we don't pay that price, we've lost our saltiness and we're not good for anything. Chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him. Now, now that's, that's fascinating. <laughs> Unsaved people liked hanging out with Jesus. There was no condemnation in Jesus' heart. There was no put down in Jesus' heart. The tax collectors and the sinners were drawing near to hear him. Now notice, he didn't go draw near to them. He didn't go to the pubs. He didn't go to the clubs. He didn't go to the secular concerts with the drugs being passed around and the designer drugs. He didn't go hang out with them. They came to hang out with him. So when people teach you about engaging the culture, excuse me, that is a false doctrine. That is a completely false doctrine. Jesus did not engage the culture the culture came to him. The culture engaged him. They came to hear him. Now, there is a huge difference there. Jesus didn't go to the club and say, hey, guys, come on. I'm really cool. Come hang out with me. He didn't go and engage them. He was just who he was. And there's nothing but love. And there's no condemnation in him. And sinners and tax collectors... And again, tax collectors, these are the most hated people in Jewish culture at that time. They were not just tax collectors, they were Roman collaborators, all right? They were the occupying army. They were Jews who collaborated with the Romans to take money from the Jews. So most hated people in society. But Jesus never pushed anybody away. They were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes, the, the holy people, grumbled saying this man receives sinners and eats with them now notice he didn't go to them they came to him he receives so he told them this parable what man of you having a hundred sheep if he has lost one of them 
does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, I have found my sheep that was lost. So I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven than for one sinner who repents than for 99 righteous people who need no repentance. Now let me apply that just a little bit. When there is a person that has left your connect group, they've stopped coming to church, they've, they've gotten caught up in the world, they've gotten lost, all right? They've, they've lost their way. They've, they didn't use the escape hatch that God always provides in the time of temptation, and they're back in the clubs, and they're back in the drinking. I want you to notice what he does. He says, you leave the 90 and 9, and you go find the one. But now you don't just go talk to that one. You pick up that one on your shoulder, and you bring it back. Go group leaders. This is what it takes to bring a person back. When a person has lost their way, when a sheep, notice it's a sheep. It's not an unsaved person to begin with. It's a sheep. It's a sheep that has lost their way. When this sheep has lost their way, you go find them. You don't tell them to go back. You pick them up and you carry them back. You bring them back. Say, well, pastor, why? Because people are shy. On their way out the door, they said a lot of ugly words. They had to justify their leaving by saying ugly things about other people. They had to justify their own decisions and try to cover up their own sins. It's like, one family that left, they were having a lot to say, and I saw them one day, and I walked up to them and I said, hello, and they bowed their heads, and I, I thought they were going to say something ugly to me, but when they lifted their head, the, the dad looked at me and he said, Pastor, I've been so wrong, and I've said so many bad things about you. I said, well, that's okay, I love you. He said, no, Pastor, let me explain. He said, my daughter had sex with a boy and got pregnant in college. And I, I wanted to cover up this. Our family was so ashamed. So we left COP and told everybody all kinds of things against our connect group leaders, against our pastors, against you. The pastor, what was really going on was we did not want anybody to look at our family. I said, that's pretty common. You always point your finger at somebody else because there's three more pointing back at you, Diba. You point your finger at somebody else, there's three more coming right back at you. I said, that's normal. He said, what do we do? I said, come back to church next Sunday and sit down in the front row next to me. We don't need to say anything to anybody. Just come sit down next to me. Just come sit down right. Why would you do that for me, Pastor? I said, because if you sit next to me, everybody will leave you alone. And you just need to come back into church and be a part again. Sometimes we have to go after these people. The next Saturday night, I called him. I said, do you need me to send a car by to pick up your family? Oh, no, no, Pastor, we have a car. So just wanted to make sure. I want to see you on Sunday. Just come sit down next to me. Nobody's going to bother you. Everybody will accept you. Everybody will love you. Everybody screws up, and we all need forgiveness. Now, this is how you go after a lost sheep. Then he continues. Oh, but let me just throw this in. It brings joy in heaven. Leaders, when you go after that one that has gotten lost, that one sheep that got lost, and you get him back in God's house, you get him back in the family, you get him back among the flock, there is joy in heaven. Did you hear that? Joy in heaven. And then he continues in verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp 
and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, again, coins in that day were not that common, okay? Most business was done by barter. Coins were of tremendous value in those days. People rarely had coins. And so when she has a coin and the coin gets lost, she's going to diligently look for it. In the same way, in this world, a believer who gets lost is a rare thing. It means a lot to God. So he lights a lamp with the lamps. He lights a lamp and we, we go and search for that coin. Please, let's never just let people go away. Let's always reach after them in Jesus' name. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship.
All right, let's get into Joshua chapter one, beginning with verse one. New book we start today. At the death of Moses, and remember Moses did die, not like Enoch and not like Elijah. He was not just translated to heaven. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving you, to the people of Israel. Now, notice, giving to them, to the people of Israel. Notice God said, I'm not giving this to you, the leader. I'm giving this to the people of Israel. Now, this entire passage is a leadership transfer. Now, one of the important things that you have to understand is that when God gives things, he gives it to the people, not to the leader. This is... You know, there people just don't understand me sometimes. Pastor Sumrall, I don't under, I don't agree with this style of church that you have where the congregation owns all the property in the congress. Because God is giving these promises to the people, not to the leader. You know, I see these churches in the world today where the pastor owns the property and he sells it to the next pastor and the congregation has to pay for it a second time. You just you shake your head at some of this stuff. Now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, just as I promised Moses. So with the transfer of leadership comes a transfer of promises. Ah, so as a leader, you're not going to operate in a, sub, a substandard set of promises. Joshua, just like I promised Moses, it's going to be to you. You're, you're not going to operate on lesser promises. This is an important truth to remember in leadership transfer. The new leader will not operate in lesser promises. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all of the land of the Hittites, to the great sea going down, the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Now again, no lesser promises. This, this is such an important truth. Because sometimes a young leader thinks, so, takes over and he thinks, well, you know, people aren't going to get as much now because I'm not the same. You may not be the same, but the promises of God are the same. There are no lesser promises at the transition of leadership. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Now notice, Joshua, I'm going to have promises for you, but you're going to be the cause. You're going to be the direct agent that brings these people in. Now, now this, is, this is such an important truth of leadership. God doesn't just make things happen. He puts you there as a leader to make things happen. You are the cause. <laughs> I sometimes try to t teach young pastors, nothing's going to happen until you get up and go to work. You are the cause. Now, you just need to circle that word. I'm going to circle that word in my Bible. For you shall cause the people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. If you don't go do something, Joshua, nothing's going to happen. They need a cause. They need something to push them. You are the direct agent of cause, cause and effect. Only be strong and very courageous. He said, now, he said this twice now. This is a requirement of leadership, strong and courageous. 
only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that the Mo Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous and then you shall have good success. Now notice, this is the relationship of the word of God to a leader. Now we've seen the relationship of the promises to a leader. We've seen the relationship of work to a leader. Now we see the relationship of God's word to a leader. He said, you need to read this word. Meditate in this word until out of the abundance of the heart your mouth speaks this word so that you will be careful to obey it. Why, Why does a leader need to, to live in the word? Because then you will have good success and you will make your way prosperous. You want to be successful if you are the cause. Now, leaders, listen to me. Go group leaders, pastors, ECS members, department heads, listen to me. You are the cause. If you're going to make that thing grow, if you're going to make things prosper and be successful, you have to have a relationship with the Word. You have to read it. Meditate in it day and night. Meditate in it until out of the abundance of the heart your mouth speaks it. Because then you will be successful and prosperous, and you're the one making the people inherit the land. You're the one who is the cause of inheriting the promise. You know, I've often said that the secret of church growth is a pastor in the Word. Now, you know, you can see some crowds drawn together with some marketing and some fancy music and some lights and some smoke machines, but it never lasts. If you want to see a great church that lasts, it's going to be because there's a man or a woman of God who lives in the Word. And because they live in the Word, they're prosperous and successful. But they cause, they cause the people to come into the promises of God. But you can't cause the people to come into the promises of God unless you're in the Word. Oh, no, that's, that's just a whole, this whole thing's just going on my insides right now. I'm going to go back and maybe write a sermon about this this afternoon. This is, this is good stuff for leadership. Verse 10, And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, Prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God has given you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word, the Lord. Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God has provided you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers. Now, that was their commitment. So Joshua said, even though there's been a transition of leadership, commitments remain the same. Now, here's a great truth. People think, well, there's a new pastor. Well, there's a new boss. I don't have to keep my promises of the past. Excuse me. Transitions of leadership do not change commitments that you have made. Whoa. Go on. Verse 16. And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, 
whatever you command them shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Now, notice here. Not only do the expectations of the people say, hey, we want the same thing that God wants of you, be strong and courageous. But I want you to notice the people's expectations about obedience have not changed. We're not going to treat you any different than we treated Moses. These are the expectations we have on you as the people of God. You keep your promises that you made. Promises don't change. And the way you treat, treated Moses, you treat the new leader. Now, many times when a new pastor takes over a church, and I, I deal with pastors in the province about this, and even here in Manila all the time, when they take over a new church, everybody wants to treat them differently. They don't want to keep their old commitments. They don't want to keep their old responsibilities and promises that they've made to God and to the people. And they want to treat the new guy different. And I, I sat down with a, a board of a church one time, and they were treating the new pastor completely differently. And I said, why are you treating him differently than the last guy? They said, well, he's new. He, he, he hasn't earned uh, the credibility with us yet. I said, Joshua didn't earn the credibility either. God just made him the leader. God, he took over and transitioned leadership, and the people had the same expectations placed upon them. You, you obey this leader. Well, you know, he, he doesn't have uh, his leadership debits and credits with us yet. And I said, you know, I know that philosophy, and I can even take you to the book in my, um, in my library where that is taught. And that's an old, old worldly wisdom teaching. I said, when there's a transition of leadership, you treat the new pastor just like you treated the old pastor. When he asks you to do something, you do it. He might be 30 years younger. He may not have the same wisdom, but he has the same promises from God upon his life. And he has the same calling to bring you into the blessings on his life. Oh, okay. Chapter 2, verse 1. <laughs> and Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go and view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and lodged there. Now, why did they go to a prostitute's house? Well, it was not for sex, okay? We have no record of them having sex with the lady. People don't question too much men going to a prostitute's house, okay? I mean, there's there's a, forgive me, but and say it indelicately, but there's a, a regular stream of men going into a prostitute's house. So it's 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 a way to do something in an unnoticed way. It's not that these men were looking for sex, okay? And it was told to the king of Jericho. Now, in spite of their desiring not to be noticed, they got noticed. And behold, told the king of Je men of Jericho, behold, the men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered into your house, for they have come to search out our land. But the woman who had taken the two men had hidden them, and she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I don't know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof, and had hid them in the stalks of the flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them all the way to the Jordan, as far as the fjords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Now, my friends, this verse has been so misused as a verse to prove situational ethics, that it is okay to lie. If you have a good motive, it's okay to lie. 
No, this is just what happened. There was another way for this same goal to be reached. She didn't have to lie, but she chose to lie. So, well, why did she choose to lie? Because she was a prostitute. She was used to lying. This, this was her lifestyle, okay? She, there's not a lot of integrity in the woman's heart. It's the easiest thing for her to do, and she's good at it. Now, God is not teaching us here situational ethics. God's just saying, this is what the woman did. Now, before the men lay down, she had come up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heavens above and on earth beneath. Now notice, here is a prostitute who knows more about God than, forgive me, some of the people of Israel. He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Here is an unsaved person, no walk with God at all. No walk with God at all. But she recognized the reality of God. My friends, how often do we find people in the world And they're so easy to lead the Christ because they know the reality of God. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father, my mother, my brothers and my sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours even to death. And if you do not tell this business of ours, now notice they did not ask her to lie. They just said, don't tell our business. Then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you. Now, why why does she say the hills? If you've been with us to Israel, you recognize that Jericho is right at the base of the mountain going up to Jerusalem. Across from it is the River Jordan. Now, Israel was camped on the other side of the Jordan. So the pursuers thought, we're going to chase these guys back to the river and catch them before they cross the river. So she said, don't go to the river. Go the opposite direction. Go up into the hills and hide. Nobody's going to look for you there because that's the wrong direction. So she said, all right, you go up to the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. So, all right, they went up to the hills. After three days, they circled back around Jericho and then went back across the Jordan to Israel. The men said to her, you will be guiltless with respect to the oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down and you shall gather into your house your father, your mother, your brothers, and your father's household. Now notice, here's a prostitute who risked her life for her father, her mother, her brothers, her sisters, her relatives. You see, sometimes, folk, you you get this idea that people of a certain category, there's nothing but evil on their insides. Now, yes, she lied, and yes, she was a prostitute. But yes, she also really loved her family. She didn't just say, do this for me. She wanted her whole family saved. She loved her family. Then if anyone goes out of the doors 
of your house into the street, his blood shall be on your own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, now he didn't tell them the lie, so just don't, don't talk about this. If you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your word, so be it. And she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. <laughs> she did that immediately. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned and came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Now notice, these two guys were very different than the twelve spies. Joshua and Caleb had faith, ten had no faith. These two men were on the same page. All the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. They're afraid of us. They brought back a good report. Chapter 3, verse 1. Oops, I'm out of time. Oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness. There's so much there. Well, you fit. You make sure that you read chapter 3 today. God bless you. We'll see you tonight at 7 o'clock.